Okay. Okay. Oh, there's wow. sound. I wasn't <laughs> yeah. expecting that. Well, yeah. welcome. This is what we sound like on a... So this is the time of gathering for ordinary life. Uh, the really meaty stuff has not started yet because Holly isn't speaking. But welcome if you're watching uh, at, at home. This is a time that normally I would tell you about the Linton recital series that St. Paul's has every Thursday, which I'm really uh, high on and encouraging people to attend, except not this coming Thursday. It will not be held. As uh, I've gotten information today, the St. Paul's campus will be completely shuttered this entire week. Uh, and I also learned today that the worship services and Ordinary Life will not convene in person for the next two weeks. So, so through April 5th. Through the first, to the first Sunday in okay. April, which is Palm Sunday. Okay. And um, so Holly and I were talking about this ahead of time. We have talked since the time that we started teaching like this about what it would be like not to have any notes in front of us and just to talk because you've had this fantasy about recording mm -hmm. our conversations. I've done it once. I've recorded a conversation between us one time. How, how did it turn out? I don't know. I haven't listened to it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we could do that. Mm -hmm. But I had this idea when I was either on the front edge of going to sleep last night or this morning about what it would be like to have a more interactive experience in ordinary life. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I thought, well, you can't go on the website and send a question because you're watching this live stream from the website. And I don't think you can do both at the same time. Um, no, I don't. You can. My technical expert is. Our saying, young people say yes. Yeah, that, that you can do that. You can. You could. So you could send us a question, yeah. or you could text us a question, um, and and we will um, we could have a more interactive experience like that during these next couple of weeks. During the next couple of weeks, or even today, if you want to start as an experiment, I've got my device on uh, sleep. Do not disturb, but I think it will still get text messages. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? You can see them pop up, but they won't make a noise. It won't make any sound? Mm -hmm. So, um, If you open that, you can see it. There you go. Um, so I just got somebody who said, uh, so interesting, we're going to be in tune at 945 for today. So there's somebody <laughs> already. So if you want to do that, my cell phone number is 713-594-9180. That's 713-594-9180. And if you would like to participate in an interactive way, we could do that. We've got uh, material for today that we had worked on long before we knew about what was coming yes. up. And John but, Watson just sent a text, a test. And it worked. And it works. So we got it. So texting still works despite the quarantine. Yeah, it will, it, yeah. It will work. Yeah. 
<laughs> so I, I, I want to, uh, it, it's somewhere along this way that I would welcome the pajama people. We are both and pajama I brought my, pa I'm a pajama person t-shirt mm -hmm. to wear. And I'm wearing my, my robe. <laughs> this is And we would, uh, I tell you why I started welcoming, welcoming the wine and cheese people. Mm -hmm. Because, and you have... We're welcoming the wine and cheese people. Uh, uh, We're if, doing communion today. If you if you hit that, it's going to go into the breaking place. Um, yes. Because I got a text from somebody after one Sunday who said, "We're not part of the um, pajama people. We where we watch, which was in Italy at the time." was um, we're the wine and cheese people. Mm -hmm. So I know for sure there is someone watching this today <laughs> who is in Paris, and I know for sure that there's somebody who is watching this who is in Switzerland. I don't think he's a wine drinker, though, but he drinks hot tea, and it's about... John just took our wine. Why? I don't know. Okay, I think it was maybe, in the way. Maybe he thought it was yeah, in the way. Or, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe he was worried about what we were going to do with it. Anyway, I, I, what you see on the screen behind you is um, would be the, the, the coming Linton recital. These people are not going to be here. And as far as I know, it's not going to be broadcast live stream. This uh, recital is not. The Wednesday communion this week will be. Uh, I happen to be doing that. I don't know what the provisions are for how that will be live streamed, but it will be. So. One more announcement. The book club has been canceled. The happy hour has been the canceled. The happy hour has been canceled. Right now, we're planning an ordinary life luncheon for late April. We'll keep you updated on how that goes. Any other announcements, Bill? Yes. Okay. I do have an announcement. Uh, we normally have about 150 people here on Sunday, and um, we don't have that many today by a long shot. But it, you are a very, very financially generous people. And um, there is on the Ordinary Life website a menu uh, which will give you an opportunity to just simply go to menu. It's somewhere, either if you're on your computer or on your browser, it will, the menu stretches across the top of the screen, and there's a menu item that says give, and you can read all about our benevolences, the, how to give, what the money goes for. In, in the years that I have been teaching this class, I've tried very assiduously not to mention money because a lot of people associate church with asking for money. So I don't ask for money, but if you want to give, there is a place on the Ordinary Life website where you can do that. And if you have a St. Paul's app, you can go uh, there and give a designated gift to Ordinary Life as, as well. Uh, and we would appreciate that. And by the way, while you are checking out the Ordinary Life website, since now you're forced to be on it, there is a wealth of material there, much of it provided by Holly, who writes a blog that is on the Ordinary Life website. I've been that a bit you, delinquent in writing lately, but 
And, you, and if you subscribe to Twitter, if you follow Ordinary Life on Twitter, you'll get a notification every, every time there is a blog or something posted on the website, um, you will get that. But because we're going to mention this in a minute, also under resources, the menu item on resources in Ordinary Life, there is a, an article that I took from a book called The Spiritual Dimension of the Enneagram, and it's called The Fall. And there's a PDF file there which you can print out. It is a chapter from that book, and I have probably read it at least 10 times. And every time I read it, I get something uh, valuable out of it. At any rate, no matter who you are, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you are welcome here. So here's where I would like to begin today, and then Holly is going to talk about a lot of, we're going to talk about a lot of things yes. together. <laughs> but um, the talks in Ordinary Life for the last little while have been governed by my responding to Jim Wallace's document, Reclaiming Jesus, and to Karen Armstrong's document, The Charter for Compassion. If you want an expanded view of the Reclaiming Jesus document, you can see that in Jim Wallace's book, um, Christ in Crisis. And if you want an expanded view of Karen Armstrong's Charter for Compassion, that is in a book called 12 Steps to a More Compassionate Life. I know that the Ordinary Life book group is reading that book. I've already gotten uh, feedback from a number of people about how we could use that maybe mm -hmm. uh, going forward. In her book, Karen Armstrong mentions these four immeasurables of love. And I have been talking lately about how it is important for our, us to learn to pray these four immeasurables of love. And they are loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. And um, these are in all the living religious traditions. These words are lifted directly from Buddhism, but of course you will find this in Judaism, in Christianity, in Islam, and other living traditions, these things. And Holly and I are focusing really today on, on compassion. But we want to begin with. <laughs> we oh, want to let me introduce a prop really quickly. Okay. Usually when you guys are here, you give us your laughter, and we know that we are um, uh, touching something funny. So today I brought my can of laughter in case you need to be reminded to laugh at home. Here's the canned laughter, everyone. Are you going to open it? You know how old, old sitcoms, they used to literally play the, the track of laughter? That's, That's right. what this is. Yeah. Can I put this here, John, or is this going to be in the way? No. We're okay. okay. We're okay with canned. I'll just touch it when I need you guys to laugh. <laughs> that's assuming oh, I should touch it. That, that's assuming that somebody will say something funny. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so here we are. So um, oh, last week I mentioned the Enneagram. And I want to do it again because the Enneagram is a great tool for spiritual growth. I do not know a spiritual director who does not use the Enneagram. And I think taken seriously and responsibly, it can be a great way to deepen your um, understanding of yourself, which you'll find later in this talk is so important to understanding other people. And... Um, 
Every Enneagram type has a healthy side and a not healthy side, which we will talk about. And this is how the Enneagram looks a lot when you first encounter it. So it looks, um, as I said, it can be helpful, but it can also be very confusing. What do all those arrows mean? And seven goes to five in strength and all, all that sort of stuff. Now, I know that we are flooded with endless updates about the coronavirus. And um, I will have more to say about that before we're done today. But I, I would uh, like to suggest that it's helpful to take a break from the news because it's all you hear about. And as a country, we are already frightened enough. I'd like to kind of keep things in perspective, and it's hard to do that. Um, as I was getting ready to uh, go to bed last night, I saw a crawl on the TV screen that said the number of coronavirus um, people who had the virus in the United Kingdom had doubled in one day. Mm-hmm. I saw that. And, and um, so far, um, less than 100 people have died in the United States from the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So I want to keep in perspective the fact that 90 people a day in this country, a day, die in automobile accidents. That's over 3,000 a year. And we've kind of gotten culturally used to that. And I'm not saying that the coronavirus is not a big deal. It is something that we are taking seriously and need to, as they say, to flatten out that line, to keep our medical facilities and medical personnel from being overwhelmed. That makes so much sense. But also, um, we don't need to be hysterical about it. So um, let's just keep things in perspective. That is your five wing really coming alive. In what? Helping us to be measured and thoughtful and um, good researchers during this time. So, you know, in normal normal state, in Mm -hmm. Buddhist psychology, Mm -hmm. in normal state, the ego is um, selfish, it's greedy, and it's uh, hateful. Mm -hmm. That's in normal state. Mm. So we want to not be in that normal state. So wash your hands, <laughs> use uh, hand sanitizer, practice social distancing. Sit further away than Bill and I are currently sitting. Yeah. <laughs> I think they said three feet. So I am yeah. going to suggest uh, this. Uh, and this is uh, not making fun of the virus. No. But I want to use the coronavirus to help you find your Enneagram type. <laughs> Because a lot of people, they look at the Enneagram and it's so confusing and they don't know, I know what Enneagram type I am. So uh, we're going to go back and forth with this. So you do this one. Oh, I do number one? Okay. Uh-huh. If you have a perfect list of necessities but not the time to shop, you are a perfectionist or a type one. You know any? I do. Yes. Richard Rohr is a one. Uh, my sister is a one. By the way, uh, people of the same Enneagram number don't marry, except maybe sixes. Mm. Because can you imagine <laughs> two ones together? Oh, yes. They would kill yeah, each other. They might. All right. Yeah. All right. So, um, if you worry about how you will take care of everyone if there is an outbreak, you're a helper or a type two. 
Type twos are wonderful people to go out to dinner with because they want to pick up the bill. <laughs> so if you're a type two, give me a call and we'll go to we'll lunch. We'll go to dinner <laughs> at my favorite restaurant. <laughs> if you want to appear prepared but also respected due to your lack of worry, you are the achiever or the type three on the Enneagram. I know some threes. I think our senior pastor here is a three. Okay. Does he know that? Um, I think he told somebody that's the case, but I'm not sure. Okay. We but just told the world. <laughs> I just told the world. That's right. There's nothing wrong with the number you are. No. By the way, um, I think we come out of... You have three children. I do. And they all yeah. have different personalities. Oh, my gosh. Unbelievably different personalities. And they came into the world that way. Some, Yes. I'm, I'm sure I've had some, some impact on oh, how yeah. they experience the re reality. But, well, yeah. wh what Sandra Mitri says in, in her book is that we, we are given a personality and we use that personality to make our way in the world. Mm -hmm. And the way we make our way in the world strengthens that personality. Right. So I can look back and see aspects of my sevenness and well as some fiveness in me when I was six and seven years old. Yeah. You, there's also, we can get to this when we get to the nine, actually. I'll, I'll get to it when we get to the nine. Okay. All right. So if you brood over the indignity of possibly getting the same illness as everyone else... <laughs> then you are an individualist or a type four. You don't get to be special. You don't get to be unique. Mm -hmm. So. And if you listen to podcasts of the experts and up your daily intake of potassium and magnesium, and I would add zinc, vitamin C, and vitamin D to that, then you are the expert or type five. My spiritual director is a um, five on the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. And um, I sent this to her. By the way, the, these things, we have modified the language a little bit, but these things are not original with us. This started on the Internet a couple of weeks ago, and I just thought it was, was very funny. Mm -hmm. You're reading my type. Go for it. <laughs> so if you buy 150 pounds of dried beans and all the toilet paper in the store while wearing a gas mask and texting friends, I knew it, then you are... A type six. I just want to say that I only bought four cans of beans and one pack of toilet paper, all while not wearing a gas mask. Well, you're lucky that you found toilet paper at all. Apparently, I am. I'll share it. I'm okay with sharing it. Just one square per wipe. What is the toilet paper thing? <laughs> I, don't I don't know. I don't understand yeah, that. Yeah, apparently that's what's going to do us in. So if you plan a vacation hoping for school cancellations... Hey, that was my turn. I get to read Oh, oh I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> if you plan a vacation hoping for school cancellations and are willing to take a chance on a cheap cruise, you are likely a type 7. That's me. Or the enthusiast. Um, Where are you going on your cruise? I'm staying at home. Oh, so you're leaning into your type 6, your 6 wing. Um... I think that if we practice good hygiene mm -hmm. and stuff, that we'll be okay. Okay. So, I think so, too. I don't know. Um, actually, we, actually, we have planned a cruise. <laughs> during the for fall? The, no, not now, for That's during funny. the fall. And I'm kind of anxious that it might still not be done because I read or heard somebody say that maybe even the airline industry in the U.K. is doomed. Huh. 
so because of this. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. see. So this yeah. is you. Nope, it's you. You're the, so you're if you're annoyed by all the updates <laughs> from the media and you wash your hands less in defiance, then you are a type eight. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I don't think I know many eights. I know one. I know a few. I know a few. Oh yeah. Apparently William thinks William's mom thinks William is an eight. Congratulations, William. <laughs> Um, and finally, if you can't decide if you should be worried or not and take a nap instead, then you're type nine or the peacemaker. You know, in the spiritual dimension, Josh is a nine. He's actually the one that has been going to the store all week, though. Oh, he really? Thought, yeah, yeah. So he's kind of pointing towards his six arrow. Uh huh. And I'm like, it's all right, babe. But We're is he napping? Uh, he hasn't taken a nap yet during the day. Yeah, okay. we'll see. I'll, I'll keep you updated. Um, you know, in the spiritual dimension of the Enneagram, it says that we all start as a nine. Um, in, the, in that sort of enlightened nine, we are all harmonious. Mm -hmm. But as soon as we enter the world, we have disruptions to our ego. Mm -hmm. We have, um, you know, things happen. Either we weren't held when we cried, so we went to a different place in our personality. And these things, as you say, get reinforced by our experience. Mm -hmm. But I thought that was so interesting. You know, I think that one of the things that has affected people who live in the United States mm -hmm. is that we have not experienced the, the mayhem, for example, that was experienced in Ireland mm -hmm. when there was a conflict between the Protestants and the Catholics right. and the bombings and all of that sort of thing. So I want to invoke something that the Brits learned, mm -hmm. and that is keep calm and carry That's on. That's right. That was uh, Winston so. Churchill. So mm -hmm. we are talking about um, how we talk today, mm -hmm. how we dialogue, mm -hmm. and you're going. <laughs> So one of the things that we can look at when we think about being in dialogue, being in relationship, is how that compares to a mechanistic worldview. And the mechanistic worldview is, um, sees human beings as like kind of as machines, that the body and the mind are separate. Our body is a, the machine, our mind is separate from it. It also sees nature as a machine. So nature is for our use, our exploitation, and our understanding. And um, it really supports what I think Martin Buber would call the I-it standpoint. Um, there's me, and there's everything else, and everything else is an object. And Bill has talked about this a lot lately, but it also supports cosmological dualism. Um, heaven and earth paradigm, and it also is like that three-storied universe where there's heaven, earth, and hell. So this mechanistic worldview we're learning doesn't, doesn't serve us, and it isn't actually reality. So the thing that Bill and I talked a lot about this week was that actually relationship or relational interaction is more reality. And this Relational worldview is entirely systemic. So nature actually already works this way. Nature already works as an interconnected whole or an interconnected system. You can see here there's like a diagram of an ecosystem where um, the sun heats the 
plants, the plants give off oxygen, the oxygen becomes nutrients and, be, and produces more nutrients for plant life, animal life, and then human life. So this ecosystem is entirely interconnected and relational. This, this stance, and I've been reading Martin Buber a lot lately. You said you read him some time ago, but you mentioned him, mentioned him enough to be, have been influenced. He calls this the I-thou stance. I-thou is not what I think of you or how I perceive you, but what happens kind of in between us. I've begun to think that maybe the most important part of that I-thou statement is actually the dash in between I and thou. There's a lot that gets transmitted in the relationship between the two. And I would, I've begun to really understand that I-thou is not just an idea or a good idea, it, it's reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the, this, you know, the, we live in sort of the singularity of a universe already. And that singularity has many different parts, many different functions working at the same time, but all feeding that singularity, all feeding the oneness that already is. And that's how I make sense of the I-thou perspective. Yeah. So I am rereading Joanna Macy mm -hmm. and John Stevenson. Mm -hmm. I think that's the last name. I always want to give the credit to the second author, but I forget. But Joanna Macy is so associated with the book Active Hope. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, in that book, she suggests that one of the things that we could do is write a letter to ourselves mm. from our mother. To ourselves from our mother. And the mother is the earth. Mm -hmm. Yes. The yes. mother gave yeah. birth to us, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we related to the earth mm -hmm. in that way, we would have an I-thou relationship mm -hmm. to the earth. Yeah. This, so I love this quote from Martin Buber that's on the screen behind us. It says that there is no God seeking because there is nothing where one could not find God. How foolish and hopeless must one be to leave one's way of life to seek God. In other words, it's right here, this relationship that we have, not just to the earth, to each other, uh, to the sacred. It's right here. It's not out there, as you repeat to us a lot about what you've learned about undoing cosmological dualism. You know, what bubbles up in me about that is, mm -hmm. I was going to say this anyway, but two of the things that I have heard uh, Richard Rohr say over and over and over again. First is that one of the shortcomings of our religious institutions, and he's talking about the church, mm -hmm. but I would say of all religious institutions, that it has taught us what to see, not how to see. Yes. And there's yeah. a huge difference between mm -hmm. those two things. And the other thing that he stresses is that religion has taught us that there's a place to get to right. rather than how to be where mm -hmm. we are. Mm -hmm. And one of the attractions that a lot of people found I included uh, back when I was in seminary and desperate, I, and, and that's not too strong a word, I was desperate to find some way to practice that was not just up here. Mm -hmm. And we were not taught that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what I did find was what was coming into the East through people like Alan Watts mm -hmm. and, and uh, Jack Cornfield and Ram Dass and other people who were saying, it's in Ram Dass's great book, right. be 
here now. And with that filter, you can go back and you can see these truths permeating Jewish thought, mm-hmm. which Buber was Jewish, yep. and you can see these thoughts permeating the teachings of Jesus. Mm-hmm. The kingdom of God is here now in you. Wake up, see it. But the church didn't teach that, right. sadly. Yeah. It's so interesting because we we are where we start out, and as you say in that letter to the, thinking of writing a letter to our mother, to our mother earth. From our mother. From our mother to us. To right. us. Okay. So we all start out in this undifferentiated state, right? Right. It, 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 even the Big Bang was undifferentiated at first. It was photon waves. There was an epoch of just light. And from that undifferentiated state of light emerged all these differentiated or separate beings, separate ways. You know, the stars emerged, the constellations emerged, the planets emerged, life emerged. And, but, but even in that differentiation, there still has to be a kind of unity in function, right? A unity in, 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 in the machine, if, mm-hmm. if, if you want to go back to the mechanistic. But if there's not unity, it will fall apart, just as, as in our bodies, right? If there's not unity in the way that our body works together, it begins to fall apart. And I, I love this, this picture of kind of, we have begun to perceive the universe. We, have, we can mirror ourselves in it. That we are I perceiving thou. And I can do the same with you. I am I experiencing you. Mm-hmm. Right? So we can be in that relationship with everything. And, and it, is, it is here. It is here for us. It's learning how to see through the separation. And that, I think, is where consciousness needs help. Well, you and I, in preparing for today, Mm -hmm. um, didn't have a disagreement, per se. (laughs) Could be fight. I was wondering, is that going to be our first fight? No, um, I don't think so. But I was struck with what you were saying Uh about this. And I always want to interrupt this. I was going to do this at the beginning, but didn't. People don't know what you're working on. You're working on your PhD in? Philosophy, cosmology, and consciousness. Easy topic. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Really looking at what is the role of the human right now in um, becoming more conscious in this long, deep time history. What is our role in terms of expanding consciousness? That's my interest. So um, somebody asked me, uh, actually it was a waitstaff person Mm -hmm. at a restaurant here in Houston who gets the um, Ordinary Life summaries and emails Mm -hmm. and lists, the podcast, that was what I was trying to think about, the podcast. And uh, she said to me uh, one night when we were eating at the restaurant, I wish that you would give us a story of creation that I could tell my children. Mm. And so I did what I did, and you can go back in the archives and search this. I based the story of creation on the works uh, that I got from Alan Watts. It's a wonderful story. I didn't make it up, but it is just absolutely a wonderful way to understand 
how the, how the cosmos came into existence and what Alan Watts describes as the elaborate game that we are involved in. Mm -hmm. And when I mentioned that to you, you said, oh, Alan Watts taught at where I'm going to school. And that's true. Yeah. He did, I think, do some workshops. I can't remember if he was full-time staff. What did we disagree about? You never got to that. Oh, well, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to call today's talk The Miracle of Dialogue, oh. and you wanted to call it The Art of Dialogue. Right. I guess who won? You won. No, oh. it's called The Art of Dialogue. So oh, I That's what we put out on the oh, email. Really? Yeah. Oh, thanks for letting me win. <laughs> because that was the time to laugh. <laughs> the, the, reason, the reason that I brought this up in terms of what Holly is talking about is that the practical application of healing the space between the I, it, mm -hmm. is learning how to talk yes. to each other. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite way of introducing this is to say that if you went out on Main Street over here, and stop the next hundred cars that are going up and down and ask the people in the car, do you think you are above average driver? Mm. Everybody would say yes. Most everybody. I know a few people would say I'm not, but most everybody would say, yeah, I'm a good driver, I'm better. Mm -hmm. If you ask people the same question about do you think you are a good talker? Mm. Do you know how to talk? Mm -hmm. People would say yes. Hmm. But I can tell you as a personal counselor, as a psychotherapist, as a spiritual director, sadly, most people don't really know how to talk. Yeah. We get in, in our ego spaces, we get in that kind of old brain space of fight or... And, and most people, and this can be true of yeah. me too, because I think that when I'm really um, acting out of my five... Mm. I can be absolutely unaware of the emotional wake I leave in the lives of other people. Mm -hmm. I get so focused on something that I'm non-responsive. Sure. And I don't mean to be that. But uh, when I'm not conscious, that can happen. And I think a lot of people are not conscious of the emotional wake that they leave. I have heard people say countless times, particularly in marital situations mm -hmm. where there's conflict, you know, we don't communicate. Mm -hmm. That's impossible. Right. <laughs> you cannot not communicate in the presence of another person. But how we talk to each other is something that takes time, patience, mm -hmm. acceptance, openness, vulnerability, all those things that we have a tendency in our reactive state right. not to do. What is it that you and Sherry have in the Being One seminar, you have a time where you say, look into each other's eyes. Mm -hmm. Is it for 10 seconds or 30 seconds? For a minute. For a whole minute. Try it. Yeah, we did. Josh and I did. <laughs> it's very tender. It's, it's yeah. also a long time. It's a long time. Yeah. yeah. We also got an exercise yeah. from David Snart, uh -huh. which he calls holding, un hugging till you're relaxed, mm. where two people stand together in a, not an A-frame hug, not a side-by-side -side hug, mm -hmm. and you practice this after washing your hands. Now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we joked about sitting here and just. Just looking, yes. yeah. Hmm. But if you're if you're in this in such an intimate relationship, mm -hmm. and you can just stand embracing 
for 15 minutes. Mm. 15 minutes. That's a long time. But it's amazing what happens between two people when, when that's going on. You become aware of being held. Mm -hmm. You become aware of holding. You become aware that you're one unit mm -hmm. and sort of where the, who's maintaining the balance and how that shifts back and forth. You become aware of your breathing, your partner's right. breathing, your partner's heartbeat. It's such a healing thing to do. It is. I think it. I mean, I think it can lead to other things, also. Hopefully, it doesn't have to. But <laughs> but that's what I would say in a workshop, guys. This doesn't have to go anywhere. But it it, yeah. it is a it is yeah. a, a tender moment. And yeah. <coughs> we were in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, when we heard John Gottman at a psychology conference give his most recent research findings. Mm -hmm. John Gottman is the man who owns the yeah. market in what we're talking about right now yeah. in, in the United States. And Gottman said that the single most important ingredient in a satisfactory intimate relationship is the amount of time that the people in that relationship spend talking to each mm -hmm. other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I will ask couples sometime, between now and the next time we meet, I would like for you to keep a log mm -hmm. of how much time you spend together as a couple, mm -hmm. not not as a family, not watching TV, but in each other's presence. In each other's presence, paying talking. attention to each other. Gottman said that the the that people who are really in highly satisfactory relationships mm -hmm. have a six to one ratio of positive to negative exchanges in those relationships. Yeah. I think that's, you know, they use that logic in, in teaching, that if you are going to correct a student, that you need to say six positives to one negative. Mm -hmm. And I know for sure when I've been evaluated as a staff member, right, that when I hear the one negative, oh, I'm so hard on myself, yeah. right? I can't sometimes even hear the six positives. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that when we're in a trusting, honest relationship that we can't offer each other feedback or how we experience someone. I, You know all this research on mirror neurons coming out? Have yes, you, yeah. yes, yes. So the, the mirror neurons, um, especially as for babies and caregivers, the, the, the baby perceives herself through the eyes of the caregiver. Absolutely. I think I heard Jim, James Finley once say that in a workshop, just you know you are adored or not by what you see in the eyes of your caregiver. If you don't see it, it's disruptive, it's confusing, it's um, disconnecting. Mm -hmm. So the way we look at each other, the way we sound to one another impacts deeply those, the mirror neurons, how we form our ability to even achieve connection. From such a young age. Our culture, our culture doesn't support this right. because our culture is about being competitive, winning, and being efficient. And what we're talking about is not winning. Uh, it is about being effective. Mm -hmm. And uh, it takes time. Mm -hmm. It just takes time. As you know, I love Zen teaching stories. And so there is a teaching story from the Zen tradition this man goes to his guru complaining about his wife and says, my wife is driving me crazy when we married. I was so attracted to her. I thought she was so smart, blah, blah, blah. Now I think she's just dumb as a mule. 
She said, she's just stupid. I, I can't stand her anymore. I don't know what to do. And the guru reached into the folds of his garment and pulled out three pills and said, I want you to take these dum-dum pills. Mm -hmm. You take them. And the next time your wife says something stupid, put one in your mouth and don't say anything till it dissolves. Mm -hmm. And when it dissolves, take the other one and put it in your mouth and let it dissolve. And so with the third one. So the, the man goes away thinking, you know, the guru is stupid, crazy, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and he comes back the next week and says, the pills were marvelous. They worked a miracle. I mean, my wife started to say something stupid. I took a pill. And then I, she started to make sense. And so I took another one, and, and she had regained her brilliance. I took another one. I realized she's smarter than I am. What's in those pills? <laughs> and the guru said, they're just candies that I got at the market. It just kept your mouth shut yeah, right. and allowed her a chance to speak. So, so much of sacred dialogue is the in-between, is listening, mm -hmm. is the pause. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that's what I hear you saying, is listening helps us enter into that space of being with. So when I was in the seminary, I got a book, which I thought I still had. Mm -hmm. I have turned my library upside down trying to find it, both here and in my home, which is where I really have my library. I couldn't find it, but the book is by a man named Rule Howell, uh -huh. who was also um, schooled in union psychology. But he, both, he wrote this book for um, church leaders, not for general public. And the book is called The Miracle of Dialogue. Mm. And in the book, he talks about there is this barrier, there is this space right. between you and me. And he talks about all the differences that each of us bring mm -hmm. to this. I mean, our obvious difference of age, mm -hmm. of gender, yes. um, our life experience. Mm -hmm. Our experience being married, yeah. our experience parenting. Um, I was thinking about the fact, and I mentioned this to you mm -hmm. in one of the conversations we had, that I can craft a talk to give in this space. I can take that same talk and go across the plaza and give it in the sanctuary. Mm -hmm. It's different because the context is different. Right. The context in here is more of um, lighthearted, educational, learn something that might be useful. Right. And the other context is a liturgical context. And more formal. And, and more, more formal, formal. And, and all of that. Mm -hmm. And I think about the fact that, say, we have 150 people here. Everybody has a different life experience and a different expectation, and words mean different things to different people. And um, when I was really big into teaching the Gospel of Thomas, mm -hmm. I had someone who left here one Sunday during that time and said, I I'm just tired of Jesus talk. Hmm. That week I got an email from somebody about the talk that was given that day and said, you don't do enough Jesus. That's interesting. And the same talk, different people... And how it, it, yeah. so my here's a real house point in mine as well. 
working through those differences mm -hmm. and barriers and expectation and assumptions and all that, that there's any real contact right. is that miracle. is a miracle. That's why you wanted to call it the miracle. Of yeah, it is a miracle. <laughs> there's, I, I think, you know, sometimes when I think about that, if I, if I hold this can or this cup, um, you and I might both be able to agree on certain properties of um, the cup or the can or the bottle of wine, right? But we will both have very different experiences of it. You might remember a first date. I might remember traveling to um, Italy with my best friend after college over a bottle of wine, right? Mm -hmm. And this, that what it conjures for us, the experience, that's, that's what's inherently different. Is, as you just said, this experience that we bring to the table. But this idea, I think, that as soon as we can reach across the experience, we're touching, we're touching the, the you, the thou, and we're in a moment of, of eternity. There's, there's, this, there's this stretching of experience that happens. And I think in, in dialogue right now, mm -hmm. we're, we're kind of touching that moment of eternity of what is it that, that stretches between us. I put this slide up here um, because I, I love the, well, let me just explain it. <laughs> Have you heard of this? It's the, um, the cosmic microwave. Background. No, but I saw that yeah. when you created yeah. that slide. Okay. And we'll tell you about parentheses. it. Parentheses. Yeah. Isn't technology wonderful that uh -huh. you could be in your home and yeah. I could be in mine? You could create this and I could see it on my computer and think, what in the world is that? It's another way of dialoguing, right? Yeah. Uh, this thing that can be separative for us. So technology, which I, I just read this article kind of critiquing, you know, the millennial and young generation for being so separate and always on their devices. But I just want to point out right now it's a unifying force. Right now we're using it to connect with people who aren't even here. So we can enter into an I-thou even through space and time. Right? Mm -hmm. And anyways, I sit with that for a second and I'm kind of like, it's, I'm a little blown away that we're even here at all. Mm -hmm. that, 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 that we're here and that we're part of at least a 14 billion year evolutionary history. So what yeah. is this a picture of? So the cosmic microwave background is, it's not a giant popcorn popping machine. It's, um, it's photons and heat that is left over from the Big Bang. Where'd they get this? Um, this was discovered by this, it's called the CMB, was discovered by two scientists named Arno Penzias and Robert Wilson. And they were trying to hear radiation, um, hear sounds from what they determined was the cosmic mi microwave background. What, what was available to us from the beginning of time? Could we touch the beginning of time? And they, were, they had this high-powered telescope, this kind of radial telescope, and they were up on the top of their research building, and they kept seeing something happen to the lens of the telescope. They, they thought it was pigeon poop. So they kept wiping the lens, wiping the lens, but it kept this, this vibrational smudge kept appearing. And it wasn't pigeon poop. <laughs> it was what they determined to be the cosmic microwave radiation which is, the, again, this... Was um, collecting on the lens? Uh, it was the, the vibration of it, was what they were seeing because of this high-powered telescope. And so what, what they mistook for pigeon poop was actually an echo of the universe at the very beginning of time. 
little whispers of the Big Bang. That's a long time ago. It's cool. So it's like every time we breathe in, we're breathing in molecules and photons from, from, the, from the first moment in time. We're breathing that in. We're breathing in dinosaurs. We're breathing in cosmic radiation. We're breathing in stardust. And every time we breathe out, we're putting our stuff back out for who knows how long from now, seven generations from now, we're breathing in our molecules, breathing in what we've put out. Mm -hmm. So again, this thread of eternity, that's just like, so holy it, moly. It, it, it is at this yeah. point that a lot of people who are invested in their theological positions, mm -hmm. things that they've been taught by the church all of their lives, mm -hmm. those things begin to be, they say, called into question. People get very defensive. I say we have a chance to rethink those things. I, we have a, a chance to expand. And right. this is what I, you know, one of Ilya Delio's words about the sacred is that it's expansive. And Einstein also found that the universe is continually expanding. There's, there's a line from uh, William James's Varieties of Religious Experiences, I'm sure you've read that at some point, where the, the mystic sort of understands that he says, the universe is not composed of dead matter, but is, on the contrary, a living presence. I became conscious in myself of eternal life. It was not a conviction that I would have it, but a consciousness that I was already part of it. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So cool. So one of the things that we are rethinking, mm -hmm. and this little mini-series, if you want, is called Praying the Immeasurables of Love. Mm -hmm. So how do you pray in this <laughs> kind of cosmos? Yeah. So you, you begin to think that there is a way of relating to the sacred that is something other than a divine bellhop. Hey, would you get me this? <laughs> I need a parking place or, right, right. you know, save my aunt from cancer. I, it, it, I understand those kind of prayers and pleadings. But we have um, an understanding of God, if you will. And again, I'm all for having a moratorium on the use of that word because mm -hmm. it's so misunderstood. But it doesn't, it doesn't take away from the fact that what you just said is a definition of the sacred. That's right. It is a definition of God, that we are living in this... Eternal in, now. In this yeah. eternal now. Yeah. I just thought, uh, you know, a, lot, a question, if you get rid of cosmological dualism, also what goes is individual salvation. That's right. Yeah. And that can get us back to our reaction to the coronavirus, which I want to talk about mm -hmm. in a minute. Mm -hmm. But... Um, there's this wonderful line that Jim Finley also says about when he went entered the monastery at Gethsemane. <clears throat> he went to see Thomas Merton, who was his spiritual director. And um, at some point, after they had months of being together, Merton uh, Finley asked Merton a question about heaven, mm -hmm. and he said. Um, to Thomas Merton, and Merton wasn't his name in the monastery, what do you think about heaven? And Merton said to Finley, well, there's not going to be much of you there. 
<laughs> Meaning your ego is not going to be there, mm -hmm. but the essence of you. And we can live with that understanding. Right. And it gives a whole different meaning for me. Um, you know, we have in the Christian creed, which was written in a three-story universe, but nonetheless we're rethinking that. What does now it mean to talk about the communion of saints? Mm -hmm. Because everybody's always here. Right. Yeah. 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 The essence of us is is what I kind of imagine like redistributes itself. Just becomes particles of other life forms. Just so I read I read something that yeah. you know there's a new series with Neil deGrasse Tyson on now Cosmos. A new series of Cosmos. I haven't seen it. And he said something on Cosmos, uh -huh. which Ilya Delio has said almost word for word. Interesting. And that is that we are breathing the atoms of Adam and Eve, you know, a fictitious right. creature. Right. But we are breathing the atoms of the first humans. Right. We're breathing the atoms of the first molecules of the universe. Right. Okay, can we just be in awe of that for a second? <laughs> there's something, I mean, anyways, it's, it's really cool to think about. But there's, um, let's talk a little bit more about this kind of miracle of dialogue, if you will. Um, I'll, I love what Martin Buber says about it. Maybe I'll start with that and you can, you can add to it. He, he, Martin Buber, again, I'm a bit immersed in it. He talks about language being is the spirit. So he says, man speaks in many tongues, tongues of language, of art, of action, but the spirit is one. Spirit is word. In truth, language does not reside in man, but stands in language and speaks out of it. So it is with all words, all spirit. Spirit is not in the eye or in the language, but between I and you. So he talks about this beautiful sort of spiritual nature of language and almost makes us, restores us to the transcendence of mm -hmm. language. He also had this example of how, especially, I've talked about this before in here, but indigenous cultures tended to have a more, what we might call compact cosmology, less of a separation between person and nature, between right. uh, person and sacred that there was a, a liminal space and a very thin thread where that, that relationship was kind of ever-present. And so language then um, followed that, that way of being. There, in some languages, for example, there's no word for I. In the Lakota language, there's no word for I. Mm. Right. And he talks about this idea that, um, so a word like far away. Bill, where are you? I'm far away. I'm over here. In the Zulu language, in the um, old Zulu language, that same word means where one cries, mother, I am lost. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. Far away yeah. is where one cries, mother. If I said, I could totally change my relationship to my kids. If, if I said, if I yelled up to my youngest, Evan, where are you? If he said, instead of upstairs, mother, I am lost from you. My heart would melt. That would and be I would it. never yell at him again. Promise. I promise. I will. I will. You hear that, Evan? <laughs> I will teach him. I will teach yeah. him that. Mother, I am lost from you. It's just like, huh. Let's do that. Oh, which one? Howard Thurman. Okay, sure. Um, there's um, 
I've also been reading Howard Thurman, and he, in the 1940s, got a call, um, or a letter, rather, from someone asking him if he would move to San Francisco to begin a new church movement. He was living in, gosh, I can't remember right now, Maryland, maybe, possibly Washington, D.C., but anyhow, he, he, he ups and moves his family after much thinking and pondering to San Francisco to start this church movement called the Church for the Fellowship of All Peoples, and it was intentionally intercultural, intentionally interracial. The four Jim Crow laws were out of fashion, right, before segregation was illegal. He and a group of people start a church to be for all people, which took for them months of intentional dialogue, months of going to each other's houses and breaking bread, months of building up trust so that they could share this holy space. And he, he writes in his autobiography with head and heart, which I just love the title of that because I think that is the... That is sacred dialogue, Mm -hmm. using our head and heart to connect. Mm -hmm. He writes, what had I learned about love? One of the central things was that the experience of being understood by another was of primary importance. Somewhere deep within was a place beyond all faults and virtues that had to be confirmed before I could run the risk of opening my life up to another. To find ultimate security an ultimate vulnerability. This is to be loved. Well, it's what we all want. Mm -hmm. We all want to be loved and accepted and affirmed. And um, last night, I watched on Netflix a comedy special called Homecoming King. Mm -hmm. And... um, it has some language that might some people might find offensive, but it is um, something that's done by a Muslim man, mm-hmm. and he talks about his experience of being brown skin mm-hmm. in America mm-hmm. and the prejudices that he has experienced. And um, it's such a beautiful lesson about his growing up in this country and his navigating the social relationships and coming to understand that what really matters is exactly what you're talking Mm -hmm. about here Mm -hmm. and how hard it is to get to. We don't make this an easy culture in which to live because we get so caught up in prejudicial things, things as superficial as skin color. Right, which is, you know, it's, it's essential to an outward identity and has become essential to one's experience in, in America is my context that I can speak of. But there's also a deeper, deeper space between and inside from which we can connect. And I mean, it definitely takes very intentional listening, being with, for me, I've had to disrupt a lot of the ways in which white supremacy still informs my language still informs my habits. You know, just, I, I, I think through that lens because I was born into that culture and was never really given an education around dismantling that culture. And I think if we are to dismantle it, I vow is the only option. 
David Brooks had an article in the New York Times recently, like a couple of days ago, about how um, pandemics bring out the worst in us. Mm -hmm. yeah, that, that when we have something like Harvey or an earthquake or tsunami or fires in California or Australia or whatever, people have a tendency to respond by coming together and supporting each other. Mm -hmm. How can I help you and let me rescue from your house? And even now here at St. Paul's, we have all these Harvey recovery things right. that are still working. But when pandemics come, we withdraw we and we shut down. And it's not just that we withdraw. I mean, social distancing makes sense. But there are people out there, particularly vulnerable elderly people. I think about, you know, if somebody made a run on all the toilet paper in the creation and some elderly person needs something, it ain't there for them. Mm -hmm. You know, they need it and somebody else has gobbled it up right. out, of, out of their greed. So, out of their fear. Out of their fear. Out of their fear. Mm -hmm. it, I, you know, we, we talk about protection, particularly in this country. There's been this whole business about walling off part of the country so people won't come in. Mm -hmm. We have a, a story about a walled country, mm -hmm. China. Mm -hmm. China was it built the Great Wall of China, which you can see from the space station, right? right? And after the Great Wall of China was created, it was breached like five times in the first three years of its existence. Not because somebody crawled over the wall. They bribed a gatekeeper. <laughs> and it's the values of the people inside the country that determines how outsiders are treated and how we are welcomed or not. And I, I think now is really a time for us to really focus on how we can make this I-Thou connection with the whole created order. Right. With not That's, uh, that is like the heart of what I'm interested in, is that it's not just about individual development in our own relationship with our shadow, but our relationship to our community, our relationship to ecology, and our relationship to cosmology. If, if we don't see ourselves as embedded in that, we won't, we won't, we won't understand the I-Thou. We won't really embody the I-Thou. Do you have some text? Um, <laughs> we have uh, pan out so they can see the slide was one. <laughs> oh, my gosh, we've <laughs> gotten we all these messages. Well, they didn't show up. They are. Well, they didn't show up because, um, oh, what great question. Which side of Jesus' face do we turn to in times like these? Mm. The icon that I show. We're going to talk about that. All of these questions yeah. next week. Okay, that's good. So thank you for those. <laughs> thank you for those questions. Yeah. And I, we're, stay safe and stay well. Wash your hands. Practice social discipline. You know, we all want the kind of things that Holly and I have talked about. We all want to be free. We all want to be loved. And we are all going to die. We all face inevitable death. That's un unavoidable. Um, Ram Dass, one of the people that I mentioned early on that I encountered in the 60s, who died this year, said, uh, we're here to walk each other home. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that if you don't understand what home is and if you don't have the trust between people that makes that walking safe so you can lead each other. So um, uh, we didn't get to that, but I do want to get this <laughs> quote from Francis of Assisi who said, when you leave this earth, you can take with you nothing that you received. 
only what you have given, a full heart, enriched by honest service, love, sacrifice, and courage. So no matter where you go this week, no matter what happens, remember this, you carry precious cargo. So watch your step, and Holly and I will see you back here next Sunday at 945. Bye. Bye.